Hello, and welcome back to What the Health. I'm your host, Julie Robner, Chief Washington Correspondent at Kaiser Health News. I'm joined by some of the best and smartest health reporters in Washington. We're here to bring you the latest in news about health policy from the White House, Capitol Hill, federal agencies, and the states. We're taping early this week. It's 11.30 a.m. Tuesday, August 1st. As with all news in Washington these days, things can change fast and things might have changed by the time you hear this. So let's get to it. Today we are joined by Joanne Cannon of Politico. Hey, Jill. Sarah Cliff of Vox. Hello. And my colleague here at KHN, Mary Agnes Carey. Hey, Mac. Hi there. So I was hoping today we'd have a chance to reflect on the past couple of months now that congressional attempts to overhaul the Affordable Care Act appear to have come to naught. But as we've learned in this debate, nothing is ever really dead. There are various bipartisan groups meeting around the Capitol and elsewhere in Washington, and it appears some Republican governors are getting involved. Meanwhile, President Trump is now threatening not only to retaliate against the insurance industry, but against the health insurance of members of Congress and some of their staffers. So let's start with the not-quite-dead-yet efforts to revive legislation. Is there any chance this results in something that can pass, Sarah? I am skeptical. Um, You know, never say never, right? I think we've all learned that with the last few months of debate. But you really, you know, saw the Senate reject not just one health care bill, but four health care bills last week. You know, we do have one option hanging out there. It is a proposal from Senators Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Lindsey Graham from um, South Carolina that has been getting some traction, has been the subject of White House meetings. The Freedom Caucus is pointing to it as the way forward. It has not come under much scrutiny. And I think when people look at it, they will find many of the things they did not like about the other proposals are still there in a more severe way. Um, this would essentially be a block grant to all of Obamacare, all that money um, that is spent on subsidies, on Medicaid expansion, put into one package, cut down a little bit, um, you know, less than states would get under Obamacare, sent to states who could decide what to do with it in a way that would um, disadvantage big urban states and advantage small rural states. So Cassidy Graham is, is out there. I think it is being clung to because it is the last thing standing. I don't see a path towards it passing, which then raises the question, we have this growing number of of fixes plans, of plans to stabilize Obamacare. There's one bipartisan, one on the House, um, one that's just Democrats on the House, and a few think tanks have also put out their plans. I think what I'm waiting to see, the moment I would declare Obamacare repeal and replace dead is when one of those plans actually becomes law. It would suggest we've moved on from the repeal part and are on to the fixing part of health care. So meanwhile, we have this problem solvers group in the House that that's doing something. Um, Joanne, well, you... when I saw that they were calling themselves the Problem Solvers Caucus, it just occurred to me, what does that say about the rest of the people up on Capitol? Are they the Problem Causer Caucus? I mean, it's about 40 um, Republicans and Democrats. They've, they've outlined some stabilization steps similar to what the actuaries and the professionals looking at this uh, would recommend. Um, Does it have traction at this point, at this very moment? No, we're not ready to go from this heated seven-year repeal fight to, okay, everybody, let's be bipartisan. I mean, that's not flipping a switch. That's a process. the the things the ideas that they're injecting about is paying the subsidies and and helping the market stabilize are where it would go if it goes to a bipartisan path. But it, right now it's just forty guys talking, maybe a couple of women, but you know that's all it is at this point. Mac, let's talk about. I mean, some of the actual ideas that are out there. I mean, if you actually wanted to fix this, what would you do? 
Right. There's one idea about allowing uh, folks who are in a bare county, one with no offer of insurance whatsoever, to be able to buy on the D.C. exchange, just like members of Congress do. That's one idea. There's other ideas to provide some more market stabilization to help with those high-risk cases. That was in the law for three years to bring that back. There's all sorts of ideas that are out there. Those are two of the key ones. But I, for me, I don't think anything's going to go in the House until they see the Senate move on something. And yesterday we had John Thune and Roy Blunt, two members of the leadership, basically say it's dead until we get 50 votes. Nothing's happening. And, hey, let's go on to tax reform. So it's not looking too good right now. But they're also not totally there on tax reform. <laughs> That's true. So, yes, they have to wrap up health care before one way or another. Once they start on health reform, they have it means they have moved on from taxes, from excuse me, the other way around. around. <laughs> Once they start on tax reform, it means they have finished up on, on health care for some complicated budget and process rules. However, it's not like, you know, I think the word they used yesterday at the White House, it's going to zip through Congress. Well, you know. The tax bill. The tax bill. I mean, there, sure. there's, there's not a lot of zippers in Congress right now. So, you know, we may also just see some more toing and froing without anything being very productive on health care because I don't think they've totally gotten it out of their system. Some well, of I them think have. We're also in a situation the House is out until September. John McCain is back in Arizona for cancer treatment. You know, we're in the first day of August right now. I think none of us expect much to happen this month, month on the health care front. Um, I think actually more of it watching how the Trump administration manages the Affordable Care Act, watching how the states manage the health care law. But in terms of Congress doing anything in the next month, and then they come back in September, you have chatter about tax reform. You need to pass a budget to keep the government open. You have this health issue laying out there. There are, I think someone mentioned there are 12 legislative days in September and a whole lot to get done in and those children's days. children's health insurance. Children's health insurance. Yeah. Which we're going to get to. But, but first, yes. I want to go back and talk about the president for a minute. Um, because as we know, every time the legislative effort has flagged, President Trump has threatened to withhold payments to insurers to reimburse them for the cost sharing discounts they have to give to lower income enrollees. Do you think he might actually follow through this time? And what impact? could that have? We don't know, but I think just the threat is having a big impact. Insurance companies have to file their rates for the Affordable Care Act marketplaces on August 16th. And most of the ones I've talked to have said, if we don't have a guarantee that they plan to pay this, we're just going to price as if they're not there, which means like a 15 to 20 percent higher rates, um, possibly isolated in the silver mid-level plans. So I actually think, you know, just the threat, just the discussion of not paying them has a similar effect to actually following through. Right. And some of the health plans that have actually said they will not participate in 2018, who have already said we're out of here, they have explicitly cited the uncertainty about these cost reduction subsidies. Um, unless they have certainty, they're not sticking around. And in fact, there are several of them already gone. There is less participation for 2018. And you have Republicans that want the president to continue funding the subsidies, have talked about this extensively. I think Kevin Brady, who runs Ways and Means in the House, has said we should make these permanent. They don't want to take the hit, the political hit that will obviously happen if you don't continue those cost-sharing subsidies. If, to Sarah's point, those rates are jacked up 20 percent, there's a lot of peril in not doing this politically for the Republicans and for President Trump. Right. Trump has tweeted, um, you know, let it implode and then the Democrats will come crawling back and beg to negotiate. I'm paraphrasing the tweet, but that's the message. Um, he said it in many different ways, right, but that's but it. The, the, um, the polls are showing 
and what politicians, other politicians are saying, no, 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 you know, Trump owns it now. It, it may be called Obamacare, but in reality, it's in Trump's hands. It is very hard after seven months in office or eight months in office or whenever this would happen to take an action, pulling these subsidies, having the market get you know hurt and saying, ah, it's Obama's fault. No, I mean, the vote of the polls showing, no, at this point, it would be Trump's fault. Yeah. And is, isn't there, isn't something else due in the lawsuit that, I mean, the reason that Trump- 20, The late 20, late August 20th or something like that. Yeah, they actually a, have to go back to the judge because this is, this is the subject of a pending lawsuit. But they keep postponing that. Yeah. I mean, courts, I don't know at what point the judge says, you know, let's do it. Well, that's one it. thing I'm curious about because they've kept postponing this yeah. decision saying, hey, we're working on this in Congress. Give us some time. This might just become moot. But, you know, if the judge says, OK, like clearly this effort is dead, like we need to get on with this lawsuit and figure out the answer. Except, um, yeah. I don't know if that comes up in the August um, deadline or not. But they may appropriate it in the fall. I mean, we don't know that they will, but there are, there are discussions or murmurings that Congress will just say, OK, you know, we're going to put it in our spending bills and move on. And of course, that's the that's the argument. The, the, the legal argument is that the Obama administration was spending this money and that the Republican Congress had not formally appropriated it. Interestingly, the Congressional Budget Office has it built into the baseline. They're assuming it's going to be spent. So if Congress actually appropriates it, there won't be any budget impact because CBO assumes it's going to happen and the money's going to be going to be paid. Free money. <laughs> and yet. Kind of, from Washington and definition yet. of free money. <laughs> and yet. So so in addition to, to this issue, the president actually has brought up a, uh, an, a new target that he might want to act on. And that would be the coverage that uh, members of Congress and their staffs get um, to basically take away the employer contribution that was sort of quietly and irregularly negotiated, shall we say, back in, in 2013. What would be the impact of that? I think it's different whether he goes after the Congress subsidy, health, the subsidies for their health insurance or the staffs. Those are not the same thing. I think the Congress, I mean, this is such a long, convoluted saga. Um, I think if he goes after the staff, the Congress people would get even more irate than they are about their own. Can you bifurcate them? Can you go after one and not the other? <sighs> Well, since the whole thing was written in a reg in such a, you know, like it would take us four hours to explain this. The whole thing was such a convoluted political, legal, regulatory, you know, hodgepodge. I don't know. I mean, maybe you write it. <laughs> if they wrote that rule. Why not write another one? We should go back actually to this, that, that in 2009, when the Democrats were trying to pass the Affordable Care Act in the Senate, they passed an amendment um, that required that Congress basically live under whatever they passed so that Congress, members of Congress and their staffs would have to buy insurance on the exchanges. And then they discovered, what, two, three years later, that that meant that they would lose their employer contribution that every other federal worker gets. It's 72 percent of your premium is paid by your employer, as most people who have employer coverage have their employers who pay a large portion of, of their premium. So they had to sort of jerry-rig this whole thing so that members of Congress and their staffs could still get the, the employer contribution, although some of them rather famously are giving it back. Right. And some of them are over 65 and some of them are on the spouses. And, you know, it just, but that, that got into the law in sort of a challenge way. It was the Republicans, I think it was Senator Grassley, actually, who, who sort of offer this amendment saying, you know, Congress has to live under this horrible thing they were about to pass. And 
it was a challenge to the Democrats. To, it was sort of a politically embarrassing moment. And the Democrats said, OK, you know, so it was this amendment that turned out not to have been the best written or best drafted memo, memo in the history of uh, health care legislation, which is why it's gone through court cases and re- this, this regulatory mess. But basically, it gets portrayed often as a special deal for Congress. Actually, like Julie just said, they're federal employees. Every federal employee, whether you're a congressperson or whatever, you get subsidy for your health care. And I think what's unique about them is they can bring this contribution to the marketplace and other people can't. And that's kind of the critique that often gets raised. I'm curious, it almost reminds me of the strong arming tactics the Trump administration has tried to use against senators like Senator Murkowski. I don't know that, you know, if they, you know, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, which deals with this issue, came out tomorrow and said, OK, no more subsidies. Congress said, OK, we're going to get together and pass this health care bill to get these subsidies back. I think it would just engender more ill will between the two branches. I don't know as a negotiating tactic it would be the most successful. Also, it wasn't all staff. It was, mm-hmm. I think it was their personal it's, it's staff personal versus success. their committee staff. So they could just assign all of them to committee. I mean, they, they'd figure out some you know, way of protecting their staff if they possibly could. Just and recategorize the them. staff would get subsidies. Right. <laughs> the very low-level ones would get insurance subsidies. Well, actually, the committee staff and the leadership staff are still on the federal health plan. They didn't have to join the exchanges. Right. But, I mean, it, it's just a mess. I have found this all. I have found this ironic because when the House was working on this, there were all these, you know, C-SPAN callers and people on Twitter to, you know, a, a, attacking Congress, saying, "Why can't you live under what we have to live under?" I'm like, they are, mm-hmm. but nobody knows it. I mean, they did this basically for the PR value, and they got absolutely no PR value out of doing it. Mm-hmm. Now they've just sort of created a kind of a, a big messy, uh, you know, uh, situation for for lots of them, you know, personally and for, and for the people that they try to hire. Um, well, let us, as, as Sarah mentioned, the House is out for the next month. It's not clear what the Senate will do for the next week and a half. It's supposed to be staying in, but uh, September is going to be a mess. There are deadlines for funding bills with the federal debt ceiling, which has to be raised. And also a bunch of health issues, including the Children's Health Insurance Program and authority for the FDA to keep collecting industry fees to keep the programs running. So why don't we handicap the, the chances of what's going to happen in September when it comes to health care? They could do the FDA user fees this week or next. It's it's being in talked about in the Senate. It's already gone through the House. It is possible that we'll see that happen and they clear that. It's, you know, check one item off their to-do list for September. They might do it in the next 10 days. Majority Leader McConnell mentioned that is on the to-do list for this week or next, but it's not certain. They they have some other bills, a veterans bill and some other things they're also working on. That is uh, fairly bipartisan, the user fee bills. It's a re, it's a renewal of a program that's been around for, what, I don't know, 10, 15 years? 1990. Uh, 90? Okay. 20 years, 25 years, yeah. 27 years. Um, it's expanded over the years to include devices and biosimilars and things like that. And you like should that. explain what these user fees do. The industry pays... Um, a fee, and the FDA, it, it supplements the FDA budget, and it's attempted to do these drug safety reviews or device safety reviews um, for prescription drugs, generics, d- medical devices, biosimilars. Um, the, it, it, it's a way of the industry speeding up and getting their products to, reviewed for safety and, and efficacy and, and to market more quickly. Um, it is bipartisan. The amendments that they could fight over may not be so bipartisan. The essential, it's one of the few areas where there is bipartisanship. There has traditionally been bipartisanship. It was even bipartisan in the House where not a lot is bipartisan. It'll get through whether it gets through you know, easily or takes until September to work out some kinks. We don't know. But we could end up, I mean, this this would be a vehicle to fight about drug prices, right? 
we think that uh, that's one reason why they have to one thing they have to work out before they actually bring it to the floor is which amendments would be offered. We do think there will be an amendment on drug importation. Um, I don't know the exact language. Excuse me, I don't know the exact language of which variant of that, but something about being able to dr- uh, import drugs, perhaps just from Canada. I don't know the details which, which, of yeah. exactly which version of that. We should point out Congress has passed at least half a dozen times before and has never happened because the administration, Democrat or Republican, has always blocked it. And it might be from other industrial countries, not just Canada. I'm just not totally au courant with the latest. Uh, we've been on <laughs> focusing on something else. Um, but, yeah, that's in the mix. And then we're thinking there, there also might be a right to try amendment. Yes, Senator that- Johnson, uh, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, uh, wants to offer a amendment that would... It would strengthen the, there are about 35 or 37, I believe, states that have done these right-to-try laws, expanding um, a physician or a patient's ability to request an ex- access to an experimental drug in a life-threatening situation. Um, the Johnson Amendment would not create a federal law that everybody in every state has that automatically, but it would strengthen these state laws. Right now, people are not actually getting the drug. It's it's been dubbed the right to ask, as my reporter Sarah Carlin keeps telling me and has reported. They, they haven't been very effective. So the federal legislation that Johnson wants to offer would, would give them more, more teeth. And, and as, as has been pointed out, the, the, the holdup usually isn't the FDA. The holdup is usually the drug company that doesn't want to provide these, the, these experimental drugs because they're afraid if something goes wrong, it will reflect badly on the drug and its ability to get approved. It could, they don't want to disrupt the you know, fairly fine-tuned clinical trial process we have in this country that's evolved over you know, the recent decades. They don't really want to do things that is either going to cause them problems with a drug that they don't you know, safety issues as well as just they have this process to test the drugs and, you know, science, scientifically valid pathway. And this gets it very murky. But, you know, there are, that's the big drug companies. I mean, there are smaller players, too, that would have a different approach than the big drug companies. And then there's poor Chip. <laughs> the Children's Health Insurance Program, wide bipartisan support, needs to be reauthorized by the end of September. It helps families whose incomes are a little bit higher than those who qualify for Medicaid get health insurance. That's another one of those pressure points you're talking about. It's a must-pass, wide bipartisan support, if by some reason by the end of September, there was some deal on health reform to get some money. They could stick it on that and see what happens. But it's one of those many pressure points, the debt ceiling, keeping the government open, whether it's an omnibus, multi-funding, or a minibus, uh, small funding some of the government. That's another one of those. So that's the thought. If they get time when they get back after Labor Day and they can move on health care, they could. You know, you always attach to whichever bus is rolling out of town, and that would be one of those, perhaps. Right, so that, some, so that even the chip... The children's health is is bipartisan. It becomes a vehicle, as, as Mac just said, for you know whatever you didn't get on your health care repeal this summer, you can try to hang it on that. So what could be a really easy process probably won't be a really easy process. It'll probably turn into a convoluted uh, couple of weeks. Well, and it and it looks like you know what what seems to happen with some of these must pass bills is that the the conservatives don't want to play, so you end up having sort of half the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, do you see that sort of Coming, coming back. We, we saw it early in the year when they were, again, funding the government, which was going to close. Do you think that may be the dynamic that we see in September? Mm-hmm. And we saw it, I think, a little bit with um, MACRA a year. How long ago was that? Like a year or two That was ago? 2015. That was 2015. That so was the last time they reauthorized was, CHIP. Yeah, so that was the last time. So, so you certainly see it then. But who knows? I mean, I think we'll see what happens when everyone goes home to their districts for a few weeks, kind of like take some time to themselves, thinks about what they've done and 
comes back and figures out, like, can we work together? You know, one of the things that's also happening on the Senate side is a small amount of bipartisan discussions. Um, Democrats are much more eager to talk about these than Republicans are. Um, but but it is happening among some of those centrist senators. And, and you could see some of those discussions spilling over into issues like CHIP, for example. But we're also seeing the, some some news reports coming out of the two extreme ends of the country, Maine and Alaska, where uh, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska did vote against the Senate bill last week. And the press reports I'm reading today are that they're going home to a, you know, this huge warm welcome, you know, three cheers, thank you for doing this. And if I'm reading them, some other senators are reading them too. I mean, it, it seems to be quite popular. Yeah. So it it will be it, it will be a, a a busy September and and a busy possibly the the next couple of weeks. Um, so let's wrap things up with a segment we call extra credit. That's where each of us recommends a story they read recently that they think everyone else should read too. And don't worry if you miss it, we will post the links to these pieces on the Kaiser Health News site khn.org. Joanne, let's start with you this week. What's your extra credit assignment? It's a story I just read this morning in the Baltimore Sun about doulas, which are childbirth assistants, and there's a pilot program to train um, doulas to help low-income women in, in Baltimore as part of a woman. Um, the doulas would be from the actual communities that they're serving, and it's part of a broad and fairly successful attempt in Baltimore to uh, reduce child mortality or child uh, actually maternal mortality. Sarah? Um, I loved a story from Erin Mershon at um, Stat News about, well, we have all been covering the healthcare debate um, Senator, or excuse me, Secretary, Secretary Tom Price at Health and Human Services has been advancing some very physician-friendly um, regulations, and he is creating an environment that is very good for doctors. He is um, a former, I believe, orthopedic surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. himself. So um, it, it sounds like the doctors are feeling very good about who they have in office. But I thought this was a nice reminder of all the other stuff happening here in D.C. Um, that it will affect the healthcare system because it is happening right now. Mac. I want to point to a story that was in the Sunday New York Times uh, called How to Repair the Health Law. It's tricky, but not impossible. I thought it was a nice summary of all the things we've been talking about, stabilizing the market, lowering drug prices, expanding access to coverage, that kind of thing. If you have gotten bits and pieces over the last week and you want a nice story that pulls it together, that's the one. Well, mine is a lovely thread on Twitter from Emma Sando. She's a former federal Medicaid staffer who's now getting her Ph.D. at Harvard. She did a little slideshow in honor of Medicare and Medicaid's 52nd birthday last week with some fun tidbits about the programs that cover more than 100 million Americans now and some fabulous historic milestones. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. This will be our only episode this week. Some of us, well, me, are taking some time off. Uh, If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. We'd also appreciate it if you left a review. If you have comments, you can email us at whatthehealth, all one word, at kff.org, or you can tweet me. I'm at Jay Rovner. Mac? At Mary Agnes Carey. At Joanne Kennan. And at Sarah Cliff. We will be back in your feed next week. In the meantime, be healthy.